Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good evening, welcome to Man of the Post Extra Time as part of the World Football Index. I'm your host, Chris. Uh, with me this week, I've got Ryan. Hello. How you doing? All right? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, good. Still married? Still married. Oh, there you go. It's like a month now, is it? Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. A month, a couple of days ago. So, it's, you know, it's definitely going to last for life now, no matter I, what. So, you're lasting longer than at least two of Britney Spears' marriages. To be honest, that was one of the main things I was hoping for. I was sort of sitting, <laughs> counting the days, thinking, as long as it's longer than Britney, I'm all good. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no Jesse this week, though uh, we do have another friend from Stateside. We have got, uh, from the Keepers Union, we've got Justin Bryant. Hello. How are we? Doing fine. Thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah. And hi, Ryan. Hi. <laughs> good, man. Thank you for coming. Right. A few questions you always ask. Uh, what team do you support? It could be anybody. It doesn't have to be a Premier League team. Yeah, it's actually not. Uh, I'm a River Plate supporter. Oh, are you? Yeah, it's it's an interesting story. I grew up in Florida, and uh, I'm a bit older than the two of you. And the first World Cup I remember was the 1978 World Cup, which Argentina hosted. And the game, the final was played in Rivers Stadium. Rivers' goalkeeper was Argentina's goalkeeper, Ubaldo Fio. And uh, it was a, a, a very romantic final. I don't know if you've seen footage, but... Um, cascades of confetti coming out of the, of, the, of the supporters as Argentina took the pitch, etc. So it was all very romantic and exciting for me as a as a twelve year old child, and so I've always been a River supporter since then. Oh, that's cool. Have you read Jonathan Wilson's book, Angels of Dirty Faces? I uh, I own it. I haven't read it. Oh, you should. It's brilliant because there's a whole piece on the '78 World Cup and the junta and all that sort of thing. It's really really good. Yeah, it's a, it's an unfortunate part of the history of, of that World Cup. It was played in the shadow of the disappearances and all, all that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, okay, uh, have you ever seen The Wire as well? It's a personal question I was asking. Yeah, of course. Yeah? All five series? Uh, I'm a, I'm a um, white middle-class male, so, so naturally. <laughs> I lent the DVDs to a guy at work, and he had to put the subtitles on for when the black people were talking to each other. I'm most interested in the, the well, I, I, to me, I found the, the Baltimore accents more interesting because uh, with a lot of the guys, they, they use non-actors for the authenticity of that accent because it's such a difficult one to do. Mm. So various police, um, people in the police hierarchy in, in, in that show and then the guys at the, in the newspaper in season five, um, some of them aren't classically trained actors from what I read. They just, they just have the right accent. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's really good. They've used a few old sort of drug kingpin, kingpins in real life on there, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they did. I, I always I go back and forth between that and The Sopranos. Can't really make up my mind which, which I prefer. Someone once said that The Wire was the best TV program not set in Springfield, and I think he's right. I get it. 
And maybe Westeros as well these days. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, while you're here, what's your, you're a goalkeeper, aren't you? You're a goalkeeping coach and former professional goalkeeper. What's your yes. favourite save to make? Is it a one-on-one, a penalty, or clawing a ball at the top corner from 25 yards? Yeah, definitely the last clawing a ball out of the top corner. Penalty save almost always relies on a bad penalty. It's it's very rare you see a well taken penalty saved, and um, and a one v one to some degree also depends on a little bit of panic from the attacking player. So I, I like clawing one out of the top corner. It's great that feeling, and then you land on the ground and you know you've done it. Yeah, and then you've got a little bit of time uh, to sort of milk it because yeah, uh, you know, because it's been struck from some distance. Uh, there's a little bit of time before everyone's gathered to, to take the corner, and so you can sort of hop up back to your feet and do your pointing and gesticulating and make sure everyone's entirely aware that you've just made that save. <laughs> oh, a couple of times I've done sort of little fingertip saves, and I've incurred the wrath of my teammates because the goal, the referee's given a goal kick, and I said, no, no, it's a corner, I saved it. <laughs> yeah, that's always the debate. I, I've had that debate with other goalkeepers is do you want the you, – you don't want the corner given, but you do want the credit. Yes, um, so I, I've actually I, I might be able to give you a way around that next time I just go ahead and accept the goal kick and I set the ball and then just before I take it while everyone's looking at me I make that little gesture that referees make when they do give the corner that little brushing of the fingertips to show that you've got the touch on it so I'll make that little gesture then go ahead and take the goal kick I feel like that, that takes care of both oh, that's very good I've not thought about doing that that's, I'm going to remember that for next time Okay. Uh, right, we're going to talk about the Champions League this week. Um, and we're going to talk the Premier League and some European fixtures. But first of all, I've got a question for you two guys. Now, this is coming from Ryan. You've sent the audio. You've done yourself a favour of not listening. It's sent in from Johnny Depp, who, by the sounds of it, is either from Chelmsford or Yorkshire. Um, <laughs> now, uh, he has asked this question What have Everton, Portsmouth, and Leeds got 356 of? Everton, Portsmouth and Leeds, was that? Yep. Okay. Okay, now you can have a think now, or um, and I'll give you the answer at the end of the show. And let's see if you've got an answer. Uh, well, I, I, don't, I don't have an answer to that no. right now. No. All right, well, keep that on the back of your brains. We'll come back to that. Okay, so... Um, I suggest most impressive performance of the week was for Chelsea beating Atletico Madrid. There was the Griezmann penalty... Uh, a lovely little header by Alvaro Morata, seven goals and eight appearances for him. And then Michu Batshuayi, 94th minute. He's become a sort of key little man for you, isn't he? That's his fifth goal of the season. He has, and fair play to him. I think he, he was getting a lot of stick in the first couple of games in the season because obviously before Morata was fully match fit, there was a lot of expectation on Batshuayi to, to sort of live up to the, the price tag that we paid for him the previous season and everyone thought he was going to go out on loan. Uh, to somewhere like West Ham or something like that. And I've always liked him. I've always wanted him to do well. There were there were games where he just looked a bit sluggish or like he looked a bit lost. Um, but the past couple of games, I don't know if it's because Morata's hit the ground running that he probably thinks I can relax a little bit in terms of there isn't this massive pressure on me. Um, but he's come in and he's, he's, he's had the right attitude. Yeah. Um, it's the first loss in 12 Champions League games for uh, Atletico Madrid. Justin, it's a difficult place to go, isn't it? Yeah, it's not the sort of place that, uh, that the the visiting side gets the run of the game, but I thought Chelsea had it. it. It isn't just that they got a late winner. I thought it was a deserved winner, and they had they had Atletico on the back foot for a lot of that match. And uh, as you say, two on two fantastic goals. I mean, the technique of Morata's little glance header 
it's very difficult to continue a ball on its path like that and still get a little bit of pace on it, beat a goalkeeper of Oblak's quality, uh, and then for the winner, um, you couldn't ask to see a better example of how to beat a team that is set deep in a low block. You sort of string around them, uh, string a few passes in front of them and draw them out a little bit, get a ball in behind, and then the one across the face of goal is very difficult to defend. So, so uh, a tremendous Chelsea performance and, and a deserved result. New stadium syndrome, maybe, for Atletico. Can't be easy. Uh, but, you know, it can't be easy for the, the home side to have a new, new stadium. You, you, to some degree, you lose the advantage of, of playing at home when it's as unfamiliar to you as it is to, to the visiting side. So it'll take a little time, I think, there. Does that happen for you as well when you move clubs? If you go to a different club, you've got to get used to everything from playing in a new stadium to where to park your car to all that sort of thing. How long does it sort of take you to get used to all that? I have to cast my mind back quite a ways because it's it's been a, a couple of decades for me. But but yeah, the, there's the, the disruption to your daily life and your daily routine is as big a factor as anything else. Um, so the, the the footballing factors obviously are getting used to new teammates and a new manager and style of play and and training routines and and all the all the football specific things. But then apart from that. Um, you know, living somewhere new and and trying to find uh, the the best transport routes into the ground and and where can you get a a good pizza and uh, all the little daily life sort of things definitely take time to adjust to. It's 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 got to be even more difficult when you talk about uh, you know non English players coming to the Premier League. They always talk about settling in a new league, but you're settling in a new country, new language, new climate, new cuisine. Um, new new television programs, everything. What did you think? You played in Scotland, didn't you? For one season, yes. Yeah, and how did you find? Did you find it a, um, a particular sort of struggle, or how did you settle in? I know it's a foreign language; they will speak up there as well, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Well, I'd already had a season in England at the non-league level before I went to Scotland, so the the, the general. Uh, cultural differences, which uh, let's be honest, they're not that tremendous coming from the states. But but um, I'd already sort of worked through the general ones, and so um, the difference between living in in Scotland and living in Hertfordshire, obviously, uh, your proximity to London meant that um, when you then make a move to Fife, you know, there's there's a little bit less of the the cosmopolitan city lifestyle. But Neighbours was on at the same time, so it didn't really affect me too much. <laughs> neighbours? <laughs> <laughs> what era of Neighbours was it? Oh, my goodness. Uh, we're talking about 1989, so 88, 89, those years. Scott and Charlene were married by then, weren't they? Yeah, I just remember Jane mostly. Did, what, before, with or without her glasses? Uh, without. Pre-glasses, <laughs> Jane. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I was always a Phoebe fan. Don't remember Phoebe. She was a bit later on. I do, yes. She, okay. She was my bow of choice. Um, okay, it must be bad. Also, I've seen you're a goalkeeper in here. Uh, for Hamdanovic and Inter and Jan Oblak of Slovenia, of um, Atletico Madrid, for Slovenia it must be pretty difficult as well. You've got two fantastic keepers coming along at the same time. Yeah, I always wonder how that sort of thing happens, whether that's a product of, of a national development program or, or simply uh, good timing. But uh, they are two outstanding goalkeepers for sure. Must be very annoying for the Slovenian manager. Well, I think it's a good problem to have. I, I think he would probably probably consider that uh, an embarrassment of, of riches. And, and certainly I can think of, oh, certainly at the club level, there are probably some supporters who wish they had the same problem. Yeah. Well, of course, Hamdan Maciu's cousin plays for Maribor, doesn't he? 
Yeah, that's right. Because um, I, I was wondering about that. I, I sort of sit in there, think, uh, watching the highlights, going, "Wait, Handanovic? I thought he played for Inter." And then my mind just clicked. I was like, "Oh wait, no." <laughs> There's another one. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's not the same one. Damn it. Uh, Manchester City two, Shakhtar Donetsk two, uh, nil. Um, this was a very, very strange performance. This they made pretty heavy work of this. Manchester City did uh, twenty-two shots. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, 16 shots that they had. They previously scored 22 goals in their previous five games. Um, Aguero missed his penalty, looking to equal the scoring record for Manchester City. Uh, and it took the it took them to get De Bruyne's sort of rather wonderful curling effort. And then Sterling, with his sixth goal in seven games, it was till the very last minute. It was so strange. They could have scored so many. I mean, Aguero missed the penalty as well, didn't he? He did. There was, they had so many chances. I mean, there was... You know, obviously the penalty that he missed. There was also that other penalty shout with Sterling as well. Um, De Bruyne looked like he missed a couple of sort of good chances, and it's just sort of thinking they could have ran away with it, like they have done with every other game in the Premier League this season. But for some reason, it just didn't fall for them. No, just that if you want Kevin De Bruyne to uh, score you a goal, you want him to have the ball outside the box. That's where eight of his last ten goals have come from. Yeah, you know they've got such a formidable front seven. They're going to pin teams back, um, similar to Coutinho at Liverpool, where, where there'll always be opportunities for him to shoot from distance because City have players stretching the opposition, forcing them deeper. Sometimes when they're packed in like that, the best option is someone that can have a pop from 20, 25 yards. So how do you legislate for that as a goalkeeper? Because you obviously want your defence in front of you, but not to the extent that they're blocking his view or your view as a goalkeeper. Right, yeah, and that's always, I think, I, I've always been sympathetic to the goalkeepers that play insides that, that are forced into playing that sort of system. Um, if you can remember the years that um, Fraser Forster was at Celtic and they played Barcelona in the Champions League a few times and and defended with 10 uh, in two banks of five, really, right at the top of the box, and then you, you're just sort of ducking and, and moving your head and trying to adjust your position just enough so that you can you know, keep sight of the ball and, and, uh, and you're doing that for the bulk of the 90 minutes. It's, it can't be a fun way to play. And it, and it, um, there's always the danger of unsighted goals and deflections and, and, uh, you know, it tends to work. Um, you, you do limit the clear goal scoring opportunities that the opposition get, but it does make the goalkeeper's life a little more difficult. And, um, thick headed outfield players not listening to the genius coming out of their goalkeeper's mouths as well. Yeah, that doesn't help. Um, you know, although, although I, I, I tend to, now that I've, I've been a goalkeeper coach longer than I was a goalkeeper, I tend to put the onus on the goalkeeper there to make the direction early and clear so that um, there is no confusion and, and everybody hears and knows and understands what they're supposed to do. But I'm, it always surprises me, even at the highest levels, um, when sometimes in the, the most stressful moments of games, players will go a little bit quiet and... And you wonder if it's a tiny bit of lack of belief and not wanting to commit too loudly to any sort of one course of action and, and leading to that sort of confusion that you see. Yeah, I played football with um, the same person I played football with every week for the last nine years. It was only a couple of weeks ago that he told me he was deaf in one ear. And I've been bellowing at him for the last decade almost. <laughs> Yeah, you do need to get to know your teammates a little bit. That does help. Yeah, telling you that would have been pretty handy nine years ago. Well, look, um, Manchester City and Chelsea, they meet each other um, in the league at the weekend, don't they? This is going to be um, this is the George Ware derby. This is at half past five on Saturday, Ryan on BT Sport. This is at the Etihad. Uh, Chelsea versus Manchester City, the last... Oh, no, it's at the bridge, isn't it? 
Um. <laughs> yes, Chris. I'm not a... Yes, Chris, it is. Yes, it is. So, it is. I mean, I, I, yeah, I didn't try and whisper that time, though. <laughs> no, it's at Stamford Bridge, sorry, because I've got a stat written down here. Uh, the last seven at Stamford Bridge between these two, Chelsea have won four and drawn two and only lost to one. Um, we talked earlier on about Manchester City's glut of Premier League goals. Only Newcastle in 94-95 and Manchester City United in 11-12 have scored more by this stage and neither of them won the league. Oh, wow, okay. So, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. That's the thing about Man City. I think they they normally start really well, and I think they started quite well last season, yeah. uh, if I remember rightly. But they they'll get those games where, and it sort of happened a little bit with you know a couple of the Chelsea games where they really struggle. They lose their heads a little bit, and then it all starts to go a bit wrong for them for a few games, and then they they end up getting a bit too far behind. Well, Chelsea won this one last season, didn't they? Two one. Yes. Uh, which one was? Obviously, what I'm thinking, which game was the... I think it, that was the Etihad one, where the whole brawl, start, uh, brawl oh, yes. started at the end. That's right, that was when Fabregas pretended... Yes, it, yes that and, and brilliant. It, <laughs> it's, one thing that's a bit frustrating about this game is David Luiz isn't playing, because yeah. I don't know what it is about David Luiz and Aguero, but... He doesn't like Aguero. It's, it's, it's the well, Aguero thing. doesn't. Yeah, Aguero doesn't like him. I'm oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, Aguero is... Yeah planted the studs into him on a couple of different occasions hasn't and he someone at work was sort of saying well it's the whole brazilian um argentina thing but i, I sort of thought well no there's quite a few brazilians on the man city squad and, and unless there is something more between them it's just crazy it's so, crazy but fun to watch oh it's brilliant to watch and that's why i'm a bit upset that david Luiz is suspended because <laughs> i really wanted to see what aguero would do this time well aguero um is does very well at Stamford Bridge. The only there is only one player to score more away goals at Stamford Bridge than Sergio Aguero in Premier League history. Anyone want to hazard a guess as to who that is? Rude Van Nistelrooy. Oh, you're almost right. Oh, who is it? Robin Van Persie. I was thinking Robin Van Persie. I just thought, uh, I don't know, just because the way that his career's gone, I always think it, it's marred his. Like time in the Premier League. Nice, fair enough. Uh, okay, right, we'll do this one very quickly. Spartak one, Liverpool one. Any questions? No. Right, next. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, there is a question actually. No, because Justin, it's something I wanted to ask you. I saw Rio Ferdinand really bashing Carius for the free kick goal. Yeah. Almost yeah. Like, having a massive go at him, and I just—I mean, obviously, I know you, you probably tend to sort of side with the goalkeeper, but what what's your thoughts on? The free kick and um, his positioning sort well, of was in the wrong do, place? Or? No, I, I think his positioning was fine. I do think it's the kind of goal that does invite questioning. Um, it, it, you know, it, you do set up a wall to cover the near post. The goalkeeper sides, shades over to the far post. You understand that if they go over the wall, you're going to see it late. Um, it's, I think the problem with that is, is that where it actually hit the net, where it actually crossed the goal line was quite a bit central. Um, a fair ways in from the post, and so you wonder if he just saw it late. Um, one of the one of the questions I have about Carius dating back to the games he played last season, he and I don't want to get too technical because I know that for the majority of people this is really boring stuff. No, no, but get, get, get it's, it's, it's brilliant. No, don't, <laughs> okay, okay, all right, fair enough. Um, do you remember, Chris? It might not be your favorite memory. I think it was Bour- the Bournemouth game where um, Liverpool lost to an injury time. Goal was it four three? Is yeah. that the one? I think right. The one okay, we were so, three one up. I think. 
Yeah, and and a lot of people criticized Carius for that fourth goal because he spilled a shot from distance. But but that wasn't what concerned me about him. That's a simple mistake, and every every goalkeeper, no matter how good, will make mistakes. Um, something I wrote about recently. What's a bigger concern is what I call limitations. So it's not that he's done one thing wrong. It's that there's something that he just doesn't do well ever. Um, and so that was the second goal in that game. There was a shot low to his left, and he and he he took a very big hop into his set position. And when you do that, you tend to use momentum to plant yourself into the ground, and it then takes uh, a, a subsequent amount of time to get out of that plant. Um, so you see goalkeepers that are a little more light on their feet, where they're never really planting into their set position. The, the, the studs are sort of just brushing the top of the grass, and they're very light and springy on the feet. Someone like Larice is a good example of that, De Gea. And I and I just I just feel like Carius hops really hard into his set position. Uh, Robles at, at Everton did this last year too, um, very very noticeably. And I think in that free kick is another situation of that. He, he's hopped hard into his set position. He's so that means your feet are off the ground while the ball's actually traveling towards your goal. Then your feet hit the ground and you sort of have this rebound action and then you dive and it all just takes too long. And so you see that ball hitting the net in a on a somewhat central position and, and the goalkeeper never really getting himself off the ground in the athletic sort of way that you expect from a top flight goalkeeper. I, I think there's more to come from Carius. I think there's things he's already showed that he does well. He's, he's very good in a one V one situation because he's got good foot speed. So he'll come quickly off his line aggressively in a good barrier position and he'll make saves that way. Um, I think if I remember the back to that Bournemouth game, he made a really good one at 3-3 that you thought at the time would at least get them a point. But I'm not sure about his his shot stopping at the very highest level because of that. What I see is a is a a very a very uh, labored leap into a set position, and I do think some criticism or at least questioning of that free kick is warranted. You you just don't want to see the ball go in that centrally. Where do you stand on the whole? Uh, one keeper for the league, one keeper for the Champions League thing. Because it's difficult, not so much for the keeper coming in, uh, but also as a collective unit, his four defenders in front of him. Yeah, I don't think that's the best. I, th- I think I think you do have to play your number two uh, because they've they've got to have some familiar familiarity with the first team if they're needed. Um, but I think what works best is when you play the number two in, say, a lesser cup game. Um, but when you split between league and Champions League, both of which presumably um, are are prioritized and are considered top top prizes, now the split, if you think about it, it really doesn't satisfy anybody. Um, neither goalkeeper is really happy. They'd both prefer to play every game. Um, the back four never aren't really going to love that because they don't really know. Uh, they've got to adjust to a different goalkeeper who communicates in a different way and has a different range for balls they come out for. You remember that Barcelona did this the last season. Uh, Bravo was there. They rotated between Bravo and Ter Stegen, between league and, and Champions League. And I don't think it's ideal. Can it be done? It can. Uh, but it, it wouldn't be the way I would want my club doing it. I'd like them to pick one. That would be the number one. And then the number two would play the competitions where we've made a clear decision uh, to play young players and and um, and use it for for players coming back from injury that sort of thing. Can we give Simon Mingley a bit of love as well because I think he's been very much uh, maligned. I think he's better than what his reputation, what people um, 
sort of who were down on him suggested I didn't think he had enough credit for that penalty save against Jamie Vardy last week. People were saying yeah. people were blaming Vardy for missing rather than the fact that uh, Mingley did his homework. That's a good save. And first of all, he did his homework. He knows that, that Vardy has a tendency to blast it up the middle. I don't understand why Vardy isn't aware that people know that, but mm. I would hope he knows now. <laughs> I think Mignolet has been much improved um, from the tail end of last season. The, the improvement started um, when he got back into the first team when Carius got injured, and he has improved. With, with Mignolet, as I, I don't think I have to tell any Liverpool fan this, it's not really a question of ability or limitations. He, he does have all the attributes you'd want a top-flight goalkeeper to have. He just has had moments where there's a loss of, of focus. And um, can I get technical again here? Yep. Okay, there's, there's a difference between loss of focus and loss of, co- loss of concentration. A loss of concentration is what you see um, down at the park with kids in grassroots level where the goalkeeper will just sort of stare off into space and, and be playing with a frog in the grass or looking at the clouds. The loss of focus I means the goalkeeper is still... Um, concentrating on the match, they've just they've just lost the priority of what they should be paying attention to. And I've got three good examples of that from from Simo Mignolet because in the last twenty years, Chris and Ryan, I'm not kidding when I say he's done the three strangest things I've ever seen. <laughs> um, again, all goalkeepers make mistakes. Go to YouTube; you can watch some absolute howlers. It's a good laugh. It's great fun. But in terms of inexplicably strange, what what possibly could he've been thinking? Uh, the first is the David Luiz free kick last year, last season, when he wasn't actually watching when the ball was struck. And I promise you, if you live a very, very long and healthy life and watch a lot of football, you very likely will never see that again. Um, and, and again, it was a loss of focus situation where he was, he was worried about um, his defensive line, not the wall, but the, the other defenders. He wanted them up in line with the wall itself, which is, again, itself inexplicable because they already were. Everyone was at the top of the 18, and there was no further they could go than that because that's as far back as the wall was set. So that was a very, very strange thing. Um, there was the Europa League game where he held the ball in his hands for 23 seconds. Uh, <laughs> that's a good one. I, I, just, I, I think we all know that referees don't want to give that free kick, um, and they'll give you every opportunity to, to release the ball at some point. But he just kept strolling around with it in his hands. It, it, trying to find the perfect distribution option. He wasn't being pressed by any of the... I, I'm, I'm afraid I can't remember the, the team they were playing, but he wasn't being pressed by anyone, so he could have, at the very least, released it from his hands and had it at his feet and, and looked to play you know, a normal pass that way, and now he's satisfied the, the six-second law. So, naturally, the referee does give that free kick, and they can see the goal from it. And then the third one is also last season. I believe it was Burnley where he got oh, a back pass. Yes, and. And he allowed the back pass to go across the goal line before clearing it. Um, luckily, not for a goal. It was wide of the goal. But I promise you, again, you will never, ever see this happen again. It's, it's the, I'm 51 years old. It's the only time I've ever seen it. And I, I genuinely don't ever expect to see it again. So once is potentially a fluke. Twice is a little curious. Three times in the space of, well, it was all one season, wasn't it? Mm. Um, I, I, I think he's got... Many, many, many attributes to be a top goalkeeper. It's just a question of putting those moments behind him. On top of that, there is an issue with crosses at times where he attacks the ball a little bit late. Um, He doesn't use his physique to his advantage. He's a good-sized fella, and he should be coming and and dealing with balls a little more comfortably than he does. Um, So when I say coming a little late, he ends up leaning and reaching 
over opposition players and defenders trying to get a touch on the ball, and, and so he sort of loses the advantage of his height and his reach that way. But, but I mean, to me, I, I, and I think this week only enforces it further, I think he should be Liverpool's number one. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, Klopp was a bit upset, Ryan, with the fact that they'd had 16 shots and they got Coutinho, Mane, Salah and Firmino all on the pitch. It was Coutinho's first ever Champions League goal, which surprised me. Uh, next, they've got... Newcastle in the gosh, this is everybody: Danny Guthrie, Ian Rush, Kenny Dalglish, <laughs> John Barnes, you name it. Andy Carroll, uh, Derby there. Um, no goalless draws in the forty-four Premier League games these two have faced each other. Um, I, I think it's going to be a really good one. Actually, not sort of despite that that fact, because it, it seems destined for goals, or you know, just to be typical football is destined to be the most boring nil-nil you've ever seen. Now. <laughs> um. But I think Liverpool, you're in this position where you've probably got to prove a point now. I don't know, like these Champions League draws. And as I said last week, the thing with Salah is he seems to be really good at getting in the positions. Um, and he has scored quite a few goals this season, but he could he could have already scored so many more. He had that chance um, right at the end, that header, didn't he? Mm. And although I think I think that was a bit of a difficult chance from what I remember seeing of it. I didn't think it was like a, a sort of a dead set goal or anything like that. Um but it'd be interesting to see how you get on because I think, yeah, you've got all these talented forwards, but for some reason it just doesn't seem to be going in as much as you'd expect. Okay. Uh, last night we had CSK one Manchester United four. It was really really strange game. This um, Seska, their defenders gave up after I think about the second goal, um, and it was incredibly pedestrian for Manchester United. And Jose has almost pretty much admitted that United are through to the next stage. Um, Romelu Lukaku's got nine goals in ten games for Manchester United so far and guess what else for the first time since 1996 happened Manchester United wore a grey kit I oh, was he... thinking about that kit because I was like yeah. it doesn't look great no do you remember 1996 Justin yeah the uh, you win nothing with kids that's right and they wore the um, the grey shirts at Southampton and got tonk 6-3 didn't they yeah they did was... Was there, was there a game where they, they wore... I don't know if it was the grey shirt. They wore a shirt for the first half and then changed the shirt for the second half or something? That was the one. That was the grey shirt. Was that, so that was the game. So they they swapped out, did they, halfway through? Was that... Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, okay. I think they made, I made the... I think Fergie said uh, they were having problems seeing each other. That's right. <laughs> it was, they were blending into the background, all the fans, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, well, Manchester United topped that group, and Basel absolutely hammered Benfica 5 0, so they're close behind in second. Manchester United next have got Crystal Palace. Um, Roy is going to be three games in after this. Has he got one game left to save his job? I, I can't imagine they'll get rid of another person this quickly, <laughs> but didn't I, I saw something, I can't remember if it was this week or last week they played a behind closed doors friendly and got a win but it was against like Bromley Town or something that's it they're getting to desperate measures yeah they're, they're actually and they're actually playing confidence building friendlies behind closed doors bloody hell but they're just they're all over the place <laughs> I mean it doesn't matter it gets sacking De Boer when you've got this run of fixtures coming up was just stupid to say the least anyway mm. um, I don't know what they expected Roy Hodgson to do magically turn this team around to be champions sort of elect or whatever yeah. this doesn't make any sense no not at all this is, of course is the uh, Roy Keane stamping on Gareth Southgate derby do you remember that Justin 
I don't honestly remember that one. I, there's any number of Roykeem stamping <laughs> someone darkies, but that one, that one I don't remember too well. This was the FA Cup semi-final back in about '94, I think it was. And um, there had been some trouble at the. This was the FA Cup semi-final replay. There had been some trouble at the first game, and I think a fan had died or something like that. And so both teams were at pains to sort of play the game in the right spirit, but nobody obviously told Roy Keane. Hmm. Um, Manchester- well, someone probably did, but he probably told him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he may not have taken any notice of that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and to be fair, if you found yourself with the opportunity to put one in on on Gareth Southgate, you might just do it. Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. They had flashbacks a little while. Do you remember when Nani got sent off for Manchester United in the Champions League versus Real Madrid? Yes. Um, Everyone was saying what a ridiculous decision it was. Apart from this, is in the sort of the pundits in the in the um, press box are saying what a ridiculous decision it was. Apart from Roy King, who said, you know, surely Nanny doesn't have, think he's got all that space to himself. And Gareth Southgate, you could tell, had a little flashback back to that night in '94. <laughs> There's a little bit of fear in his eyes. Uh, United are unbeaten in 16 versus Crystal Palace and have won their last 10, conceding only two goals. It's only going to go one way, this, isn't it, chaps? Yeah, it's, it, as as you know. As Ryan was saying, Palace are a mess at the moment and playing friendlies behind closed doors in order to build morale. It's not the worst idea in the world, but it does give an indication of where they are as a side right now. And and United have just got way too much for them. And and you talk about the United game the other day being a bit of a funny one. Um, You know, there's there's two De Gea saves in the first half that that. if he doesn't make, obviously you've got a completely different game, uh, and and they were quality saves. So, you know that that's that's the problem for a side like like Palace that are far from firing in all cylinders is that you're only going to make a few chances, and even then you you've got to beat one of the best goalkeepers in the world, and at the same time you're trying to fend off uh, all these free flowing attacking players that United suddenly have at their disposal. So yeah. I don't see this one going Palace's way. Their defenders look so lackadaisical at the back. They did. There was the Mictarian goal, wasn't it, where the keeper made there was a block or the keeper made the save, and then oh, they and all it, sort of ambled around apart from Mictarian. Yeah, everyone was like, "Ah, oh, should we get it?" Nah, it's all right. And then Mictarian was like, oh, "I'll have it then." Yeah, yeah. yeah um, I, I'm wondering well, if they thought he was offside or something. Yeah, they all kind of stopped, didn't they? It was just really, really oh. strange. Uh, one matter has got 199 Premier League appearances, so if he makes one more at the weekend, he joins. Uh, a select group of six other Spaniards that got 200 Premier League appearances. Anyone want to have a stab at who they could be? Two of them are goalkeepers. Yeah, De Gea and Pepe Reina. Yeah. Abregas? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think Torres would have made that many. Oh, yeah. Oh, he did. Yeah, he I was did. thinking he would probably... Yeah, hey. One's still playing, uh, and the other one is a coach at his club. New co- is it like someone that's just become a coach? No, no, no. He's not nah, a manager. Nah. He's a sort of assistant coach yeah, or yeah, coach yeah, sort yeah. of person. So yeah, one's still playing, didn't, and the other one is his coach. Didn't Fernando Hierro end up at Bolton at one point? Yeah, not for two hundred games though. Not for two hundred games. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if I give you the player, you see if you can guess the coach. It's David Silver. Oh yeah. So yeah. The coach, so think of a Manchester City coach if you can. Oh, it's a Man City coach. Spanish. That's kind of cheating because he um, is Basque as well. Yeah, I don't have No. No, Mikel Arteta. Mikel Arteta, of course. Oh, yeah, of course. Which surprises yeah. me that Xavi Alonso isn't in that list. I, that's, I was sort of thinking because Xavi Alonso, I don't know if he is actually a coach at his at Bayern anymore I know he's retired now but he's on about going into something to do with coaching you sent me that link didn't you 
Oh, yeah, he wants to become a manager. Yeah. Oh, what a guy. That. That'd be great, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, finally, in the Champions League for English clubs, Harry Kane got a hat-trick. Applewell, uh, Nicosia, zero, uh, nil. Uh, Spurs, three. Um, Applewell hit the bar at nil, nil. So, like you were saying for the Manchester United game, this could have been a little bit different, couldn't it, Justin? Spurs uh, are now level with Real Madrid. Harry Kane, here's a few stats for you. Six hat-tricks in 2017, nine uh, for Tottenham overall. Um, and he's got 11 goals in September. 34 in 30 games in 2017. He's a good player. He's not bad, is he? Imagine how sure many he'd have not... if he scored not in August. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm not <laughs> sure what the August problem is. Um, but uh, but apart from that, he's he's doing the business. Yeah, the only problem is for Spurs is they're a sort of niggly eight-week injury away from sort of losing any kind of focus if something happens mm-hmm. to Kane, aren't they? He is the focal point of that attack. That is the problem. I mean, you, you think about uh, City could bear the brunt of, of losing any one of, of their attacking players, even even Aguero, because they've got so many others. Um, I think Liverpool actually could 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 survive losing some one of the attacking players because they're deep in, in attack. But um, Spurs are, are very reliant on, on Kane to actually finish. See, I always had with the Arnold's like some kind of big lumbering number nine. But you think about, he scores a few long shots, free kicks he takes as well. He's quite skillful on the ball. He's, he is more than just a sort of uh, North London Andy Carroll, isn't he? <laughs> he is. Um, and the, thing, the interesting thing, I had a conversation with someone on Twitter about this the other day. It was, someone was sort of posed the question of, you know, would he have to leave Tottenham to get, say, Ballon d'Or or anything like that? Um or, or do you think he'll ever be world, world class? Because I think he, he he's a fantastic striker. I think he needs to do it on the international stage. And I think I think he has to leave Tottenham at some point if he wants to be that world class level and be on the same level as someone like Messi or Ronaldo. Or even just win a trophy. Well, that's what someone said. Oh, Tottenham are a big club. Trophies incoming. I was like, I've heard that for the past three seasons. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know if Tottenham will ever be able to give Harry Kane that amount of trophies or success that he needs to become or, or that he, to, to represent him as world class hmm. um, another quiz for you guys uh, Harry Kane is become the seventh Englishman to score a Champions League hat trick who are the other six Wayne Rooney yeah Andy Cole no Andy yeah. Cole <laughs> yeah 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 okay um... in fact tonight's the anniversary of Wayne Rooney's hat trick remember the um, he's on his debut for Manchester United versus Fenerbahce. Oh, yes. yes. I remember that one. Got yeah. it. There's two of your players. Four more. Michael Owen? Michael Owen, yeah. Frank Lampard? No. Um, no. Okay. I'm just trying to give you guys a clue. One's still playing. He's played for Manchester United, now plays for Arsenal. Welbeck? Uh, Danny Welbeck. Yeah, Danny Welbeck. Uh, one either did it for Newcastle or did it for Blackburn. Uh, Alan Shearer. Okay, yeah. and the last one definitely did it for Blackburn Rovers, so this probably counts you out for your only guesses, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, probably. Come on, Justin, former Luton Town manager, Leicester City legend, Blackburn legend. Uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, Mike Newell. Oh, okay, Mike Newell, yeah. <laughs> uh, also in this group, Real Madrid uh, absolutely thumped Borussia Dortmund uh, 3-1, so... Spurs and Real Madrid are looking pretty good in this group because both Applewell and Dortmund have got nul point uh, and Spurs and Real Madrid have got six. 
I can't remember the name of the Dortmund goalkeeper, unfortunately, but um, he was beat twice at his near post in the Spurs game and once yesterday by Ronaldo at the near post. Now, the one yesterday, I've got an awful lot of sympathy for him because Ronaldo absolutely smashed that ball. Uh, and although it was at his near post, the ball really, really travelled far more than any man could react. Yeah, I, I mean, think, uh, yeah. I was, uh, was going to say quickly, I think even if he got in the way, he'd probably get knocked back. Yeah, that's how hard <laughs> it was. <laughs> Sorry. Pace will always beat you, and so um, you know we we we've talked about and I've written about how uh, the maximum goalkeeper should never be beaten at the near post is a little bit of a myth, or at best it's misleading. Pace, for one thing, um, is, is going to beat a goalkeeper. If you remember the goal that Powell scored in the in the cup final against United a couple of years ago, which which led to the Alan Pardew dance. <laughs> De Gea was beaten at his near post. Um, nobody really had any problem with it at the time because they could see it was a, a well-taken ball off the bouncing off the turf, a volley with pace. And so pace is going to beat you at the near post. The other thing about the near post is that it, it's only really an issue when the angle is acute. Um, it always bothers me when I hear a pundit say, oh, we shouldn't be beaten at his near post there, where the shot came from an angle that there's still plenty of goal on both sides of the goalkeeper. And so you can't just go stand on the near post and take that away as an option because you'd obviously allow loads, uh, leaving so much of the goal open. So so I, I think it's one of those those sayings. It's a little bit of lazy punditry, and, and you have to examine each one on its own merits. And I, as you say, I don't think that, that we can be too harsh with the Ronaldo goal yesterday. I got beat yesterday by basically hugging my near post and he went round me and sort of curled it past, uh, past into the far post. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that obviously if you overplay the near post, you're, you're giving up quite a bit more of, of the goal to, to the other side. And so any player who notices that is going to take advantage of it. Exactly. Where do you stand on outfield players um, who are pundits critiquing goalkeepers? I mean, you, you, that's going to happen. I, I know that it, it really bothers a lot of goalkeepers and think they should never do it. But the fact is there's... 10 times as many outfield players in the world as there are goalkeepers and they're much more likely to be pundits and it is a part of the game and it's it's valid for them to discuss it. I just like when they make an effort to educate themselves about it. And so um, you may remember Gary Neville getting a load of criticism for being very critical of De Gea early in his United career. And, and, and to his credit, Gary Neville, as part of his coaching badges, did some goalkeeper licensing stuff and his punditry since then has come from a more informed place. Um, uh, and so I like when they make an effort beyond just the sort of cliches and the, the, the casual, he should do better there. Well, tell us why. What's the actual, where, where was he at fault? Was it positioning? Was it technical? Was it decision-making? And so I understand that they're going to do it. I just hope that they put a little effort into it. Okay. Uh, Spurs next are playing Huddersfield in the Premier League. Um Richie Pochettino has got 55 points versus promoted teams, so he does pretty well against them. But Huddersfield have got four clean sheets in six games. Um, that's a record that goes back to promoted teams, back to Blackburn in 1992. Uh, now, Harry Kane has scored 24 against 24 Premier League teams that he's faced out of the 25. The only one he hasn't scored against is Cardiff. So is this run going to continue at the weekend, Justin? Uh, yeah, it is. Um, although, although Huddersfield are very well set up. Um, obviously the four clean sheets you mentioned, Lossell's done well in goal. David Wagner's got a system and they play it. Uh, but I, I do think with Spurs, there's, there's, there are too many 
players to be to be considered in the attack. You've got Dembele that can run with the ball past players, and Erickson can pick a pass. Um, Deli Alley's always a threat, obviously. They've, they've just got a lot of components to make it very difficult to defend. And, of course, if you if you try to play and come out of any sort of low block, low set, then you just give them space to play into if you lose the ball. And so they're very dangerous in transition. I, I do see uh, Spurs getting all three points. In a, in a tight game, should be a good Good game, but I, I, I think uh, I think that, that Harry Kane will get himself a goal. Okay. Uh, elsewhere in the Champions League, Ryan, uh, Group D, Sporting, nil, uh, Barcelona, 1, and Juventus, 2, Olympiacos, nil. Uh, group B, Celtic, the Andalite, 3, nil. That's their first Champions League group win in 16 games. Um, PSG beat Bayern, 3, nil. Now, it looks like Al- Danny Alves, Edison Cavani, and Neymar are all friends because they all scored. Um <laughs> <laughs> and Na- uh, Cavani's goal was fantastic. Lovely little knockback by Mbappe. Uh, and Neymar- say, if Jessie was here, she'd be raving about it. So, but because she's not here, we don't get to talk about it. We Jessie. won't talk about it. We'll move on past we'll that. Okay. Yeah, no, we don't talk about it. She's a uh, Tottenham and Uruguay fan. I see. Okay. Yeah, so we'll, we'll gloss over that because she's not here tonight. Oh, that was nice. Come. Is she listening in? She will listen, and she listens in when she's commuting on the subway, and she okay. invariably chunters and swears as she hears uh-huh. what we've got to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Iron Robin, after the game, uh, refused to sort of comment on uh, the future of uh, Carlo Ancelotti, and by not commenting, he pretty much commented. Uh, and, of course, this afternoon, Carlo Ancelotti has lost his job. I, I really like Ancelotti, what he did for Chelsea. Um Obviously, it was really good. It was sad to see him go and he got sacked from, from us. I don't think it was deserved. Very classy and tweet he's done tonight as well. I haven't seen it. What's he put? Oh, just thanking Bayern uh, and the fans and everything. I like the fact that his Twitter name is Mr. Ancelotti. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's one of the last gentleman managers. Yeah. And uh, I don't think you'll find too many people that have a bad word to say about him, at least personally. And he's got, in many ways, he's got a glittering track record a glittering resume I, I was surprised to see a stat that he's won the league he'd won the league four times in 20 seasons mm. at what we might consider powerhouse clubs and so that's a, a surprisingly low total it's still four league titles and can't take that away from him but um it didn't seem to go it just hasn't gone well for Bayern this year from the start they haven't looked like the Bayern that we expect to see that there's not much drive or energy in the side that they sort of play at a walking pace and um if we can inject goalkeeping into it one more time, I do think the loss of Neuer, you saw last night the difference between the very, very best um, and then even very, very good top-flight professional goalkeepers. I, I don't think, sorry, Jesse, but I don't think Cavani's <laughs> beat Neuer with that shot that hits the center of the net. Sorry, um, I say that again, Justin. I didn't hear you. Say, repeat it louder. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 apologies to Jesse, but I don't <laughs> think that, um, that Cavani scores that goal against Neuer. Um, <laughs> Very good point. Well made. <laughs> and I'm not sure Danny Alves gets the first one because because I thought there was time for the goalkeeper to come close him down and take it off his foot. So um, Byron will miss him, obviously. Yeah, I, no, I, I think that's you're right. huge, isn't it? It really is. I, the thing about the Ancelotti thing is I, I feel bad for him because it's almost like the, the Neuer thing is I think it's caused a bigger impact than than probably what they'd, they'd care to admit. Um, and I think that's. You know, it's obviously they've not had a great start anyway, but to, to lose Noy has probably not helped anyone or do anyone any favours. I mean, they've had to put a retired goalkeeper in their Champions League squad. Oh, who? Um, Stark, is it? 
Yeah, they they they, they signed him out of retirement to to be the number three, number two now. Oh, yeah. So it, it it's it's you know sad to see him go, but it'll be interesting to see who they get in. Well, mind you, do you remember the statistic from last year that if um, Manuel Neuer hadn't been picked for any Bayern Munich's games, they still would have won the league? Oh, I didn't yeah, know that. that that's so. That's one of those things about a goalkeeper that plays for one of the elite clubs and a, a team like Bayern have been so dominant, especially domestically. But as Ryan says, his loss is felt more in terms of, of what he contributes in making saves. He's he's obviously a talismanic figure. Um, I think that he genuinely has an impact when Bayern play lesser sides, um, that there's there's got to be a, a sort of reckoning that, that these sort of journeyman pros go through when they find themselves in on goal on somebody like him and, and you know, perhaps a moment of doubt every now and then, am I good enough to do this? Um, we've, we've saw that in previous generations with Peter Schmeichel. You see it with Buffon at his prime, and, and I think you do see that with Neuer sometimes. So, And, of course, in the Champions League, they don't really have the advantage when, the, when they play other top sides that um, they do domestically or that they have enjoyed the dem- domestically to so his loss. I mean, they need him to actually make saves, and Sven Ulreich right now hasn't really taken his opportunity and, and made the most of it. No, you're right. You know, as you were saying that, I was thinking, Peter Schmeichel, because so much of sport is played between the ears, isn't it? And if you're a striker bearing down on goal and you see Peter Schmeichel and Manuel Neuer coming out of you, you're kind of half beat straight away, aren't you? Because you're, you're immediately thinking, uh-oh, how do I do this? Unless, yeah, you're, I... unless you're someone like Alan Shearer, who's, you know, the, the sort of peak of that game. But if you're a sort of mid-table jobbing striker or something like that, you, your brain will sort of start to think, what do I do now? Yeah, I think I think moments like that obviously are, are the, the big players don't have a problem with it. I mean, most professional players have a pretty outsized ego in the first place to have survived. Uh, did you? The, 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 did I? Yeah. Um, to a degree. I mean, even even though my career wouldn't wouldn't have justified it. Um, you know, I, I played it at the lower levels of the professional game, but I, I still I'm I, I remember there would be situations where a, a player was turning inside the box and I could see he was shaping for a shot and, and my thought process would often be I'll probably save this he, he's he's not beating me from there that kind of thing mm. um, but I think at the, the, the particularly the highest levels where players are making very good living that just naturally fancy themselves because everything in their life is so good and, and it's all because of their abilities on the pitch but there's got to be a moment of reckoning when you come up against someone like Neuer where they, 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 he's, he's celebrated globally um, and also, he's he's a big unit. He's a big fella. He's physically imposing. He's kind of expressionless and emotionless, as as have been previous generations of German goalkeepers. Um, I can think of many, many goalkeepers I would prefer to be through on goal against than him. Oh, definitely. I mean, he's been outfield player, didn't he? He's playing midfield. Yeah, and you know, and obviously that that's impacted how he plays as, as a goalkeeper. People have talked about him reinventing goalkeeping and changing the game and that's all a little bit nonsense because um it, it's really just him hmm. um it's only a revolution if everyone follows you and uh, I, I don't i think he's a one-off really but but a lot of it is because he's so comfortable with the ball at his feet okay oh you were saying just then about everything being good in your life when you're playing have you ever played having i don't know your sort of domestic circumstances or something but have you ever played having had a sort of fight beforehand or an argument beforehand with a spouse or partner or you've had to tell your kids off or something and then go 
and then go play a game and is it sort of does it play on your mind where you're playing or can you block all that sort of thing out yeah actually you know what G- games are extremely useful in situations like that you're very you're glad for the distraction and you can completely forget whatever's going on in your life um i do remember at the final whistle a few times doing the handshakes and walking off the pitch and then thinking oh yikes i've got to deal with you know x y z whatever mm. so at least for me i was always able to use matches as a way to escape from the rest of all that yeah no I think, sorry i, was... I think that's think that's pretty common oh it is is it Football, i think so professional footballers yeah. can put that sort of thing to the back of their mind <clears throat> john terry <laughs> <laughs> uh also finally in uh group g of the champions league um two abubakar goals helped porto beat monaco three and that was a big surprise finally ryan we're saving the best till last you're not going to say don't you uh, it's charisma, isn't it? Oh, Ricardo charisma! Did you see this? Besiktas two, Leipzig new. Have you seen his cross, either of you? Yeah, the Travella. Oh my gosh! How yeah, many times you, did you, you played that? All I saw on your Twitter, like for like three hours. Oh, <laughs> is he not just the greatest player ever? I think we all love those kind of guys. I mean, he's, he's such an enigma. He's so talented. Um, a, a generation from now, someone will watch a YouTube compilation. Uh, and would be justified in thinking that he was not just one of the most talented players in the world, but one of the most productive, genuinely one of the greatest. Mm. His his highlights video will look like that. It, what, what it won't show, of course, is the long stretches where you forget, you know, we, we hasn't really produced that same level, but the, the, the heights he's capable of. I think, I think, I think Berbatov is another player like that. We know Nanny with the flashes of, of absolute brilliance, um, which unfortunately are interspersed with long, long periods of, of g- relative inactivity. But you'd rather have charisma with his long periods of his long droughts and then few moments of genius. You'd rather have him in your team than Gareth Barry, <laughs> for example, or a player of that ilk. It's funny you say that, I guess, because Barry's Gareth Barry's been in the news for breaking a non-existent record. Um, <laughs> you know, just for the record, Peter Shilton has the most top-flight appearances, but um, for breaking the Premier League appearances record, and 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 there was a lot of people seem to take that opportunity to criticize him for not being as talented as Ryan Giggs, the man whose Premier League record he broke. But but you need that sort of player, and and um, would. Certainly, a player like Charisma is more exciting to have in in your team, of course. Yeah, and yeah, I'd rather have Charisma in my oh. team than Gareth Barry. But but every team needs a Gareth Barry. Hey, you'd rather have Gareth Barry when you run? No, naturally, I would actually <laughs> prefer Charisma. <laughs> okay, uh, some fixtures coming up around Europe this weekend uh, in Ligue 1 in France. Uh, PSG top of nineteen, followed by Monaco a point behind, and then Bordeaux on fifteen. Uh, PSG and Bordeaux actually play each other in Monaco at home to Montpellier. Uh, in the Bundesliga, Dortmund top on 16, then Hoffenheim, two points behind on 14, and Bayern on 13 points. So Hertha Berlin play Bayern, um, Augsburg play Borussia Dortmund, and Freiburg play Hoffenheim. Uh, in Italy, Napoli atop with Juventus on 18 points, then Inter on 16. Uh, Aslad to play Juve, Benevento play Inter. Um, then we have 5th versus 6th, which is Milan versus Roma. That'll be a good one. That's on Sunday afternoon, I think. Uh, and then in La Liga, we've got Barcelona on 18 points, Atletico Madrid 14, um, Seville on 13 points, 
Barcelona playing Las Palmas, uh, Leganes are playing Atletico Madrid, Seville playing Malaga, and of course Real Madrid down in sixth on 11 points are playing Espanyol. Um, the narrative before the season, chaps quickly, was Barcelona are a team in uh, transition and, oh my gosh, they've signed Paulinho and they can't even sign Coutinho, they're finished. Rumours of their death are greatly exaggerated, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Madrid made a little bit of an indifferent start. You wonder if there's a little bit of Champions League hangover. Um, but in 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 all the big leagues in Europe, it's 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 made viewing at this time of season a little more interesting because Bayern haven't sprinted away with it. Madrid haven't sprinted away. Juve haven't sprinted away. In fact, all of them can be described as in some form of well, I mean, we'll say crisis for Bayern. They've actually sacked the manager, but but some of those others haven't quite lived up to it. And 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 Barcelona have played off of of lessened expectations, and and here they are. Exactly. Um, right, back in the Premier League, Bournemouth versus Leicester this weekend in the uh, Jan Cummerant derby. Um, Jan Cummerant, remember when he did the Penenka in the playoff semi-final and the keeper caught it? The, those are fantastic moments. I don't remember that, but I love when the Penenka doesn't come off. Have you I love the- when it comes... There's no, there's, it's, the Penenka's a no-lose situation because it's, it's great and cheeky when it works and it's absolutely hilarious when it doesn't. The keeper just stands there and catches it. Have you ever caught a Penenka? No, no, I never have. No, you can't have you ever had many people do it to you. No, I, I, I honestly don't think I've ever had it done to me. But I'll tell you what: if it had happened, I would like to have done is you just immediately run and sprint and kick it out of touch, kick <laughs> it into touch. Sorry. <laughs> Followed by a big yabu sucks for the striker that tried it. Yeah, yeah. There was a story <laughs> that used to go around when John Lukic was at Arsenal. Anytime when they were doing shooting shooting practice, if anyone tried to chip him and he caught it, he would run with the ball and kick it out of the training ground. <laughs> Uh, Jamie Vardy's a doubt for this game, which is a shame because he scored three and six versus Bournemouth. Um, and this was the when he went on that big eleven-game scoring streak. This is the first game he got uh, a, a goal in back in then. Um, Bournemouth from beating the Premier League versus Leicester, and this is Leicester's joint worst start to the see, to a Premier League season. Although they have had some tough fixtures, if you think about it. Um, Ryan, how do you think this one's going to go? Um, it's going to be interesting. I think uh, I'm, I'm sort of veering towards a draw. Uh, I think if Vardy doesn't play, he'll be a big loss. Um, yeah. It'd be, be interesting to see if Ianacho plays if, in that case. Um, I, was, I think there's a lot of hope that Ianacho would come in and sort of play straight away. He's, yeah, really he's had a sort so of quiet start, hasn't he? Mm. Uh, I've got him on my fantasy team. What a waste of space <laughs> that's been so far. I've got Manolo Gabbiadini, and he wouldn't let me transfer him out last week. <laughs> And the, the Gabbiadini one's a weird one because he, he came in, he scored he scored quite a few goals, and now it's just faded away again, which yeah. is a bit of a weird one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's going to be, uh, I'm sort of going towards a draw. You're going towards a draw. Okay, uh, what do you reckon this one then, Justin? Uh, I think a draw too. 1-1. Yeah, okay. Uh, Stoke versus Southampton in the Ray Wallace derby. Do you remember Ray Wallace? I don't remember, remember Ray Wallace. He had I, remember two... Danny, I remember Danny Wallace, but not Ray Wallace. It was his brother. There was Ray, Danny, oh, right. and Rodney. Right. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One ended up at Manchester United and one ended up at Stoke. Yeah, okay. okay. Uh, I, like, I like Southampton there. I thought they were a little bit unlucky not to get anything from United uh, in the past week. And they looked, especially in the second half, they carried a, a lot of threat. Um, and so if they carry that form into this one, I can see them getting all three points. Yeah, well, Stoke have only won three at their last 15 at home to Southampton. This was 0-0 last season. So Southampton, as you say, they're four unbeaten away. Um, and they've I got wonder, two clean sheets in their opening Premier League games. Go on. 
Yeah, I wonder how long Stoke can continue that home form, and yet people will still ask the rhetorical question, could he do it <laughs> on a, at Stoke on a wet Wednesday night? This is the uh, Joe Hart understudy derby as well, isn't it? Joe Hart understudy. Butland yeah, and Forster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd pitch at Butland personally. I think they're, that that they're that's both very good, I? I don't know if you want to get into that discussion, but I, I, I do think that um, Joe Hart grasp on the England number one shirt is more tenuous by the appearance. It seems to be, doesn't it? Unless he's got some deeply embarrassing pictures of Gareth Southgate. Yeah, I mean, he's he's come into a West Ham side that obviously aren't aren't playing well and aren't defending well and don't seem to have uh, a unified back four and are just just leaking goals every every match and um, it's, it hasn't been a good return to the Premier League for him. He's, it hasn't been at fault for the majority of those goals, but there's just been a lot of them. Well, Jose Font's not worked out at all for West Ham, isn't he? That's a real strange one because he was so commanding at Southampton. Yeah, that's true. You're right. There's been a few Southampton players that were commanding at the back and gone elsewhere and not really replicated that form. You might you might think of one or two of them. Mm. <laughs> uh, oh, one stubbornly stayed where he was, unfortunately. Yeah, that's right. The, the one really, probably, probably the, the best of the lot, and he's still there. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he was the one that was stubborn. <laughs> no, unfortunately. Uh, Slavin Bilic was a commanding defender, wasn't he? How come he can't train a defence? It's. I think it's, it's. You have to give credit to people like like Rafa Benitez, who who and and Jose Mourinho, who give over the majority of the training sessions to shape. Um, it's it's not fun for the players. It's it's miserable, grinding, boring work on the training pitch, but it does work. And and the the managers that are committed to doing it over the long term with their sides reap the benefits of it. There's a. Um, a great story about back in the Milan days when Arrigo Saki was there and, and uh, they worked on shape all the time and, and one of the players complained to him about it and he said, he's, why do we do this all the time, boss? Why is it always shape, shape, shape? And he says, well, because five organized players can defend ten attacking players. It's not a matter of matching up numbers-wise. It's about taking care of the space in front of goal. And to prove it, they used to play a game in Milan's training where it was 5v10. Now, those five were... Baresi and Costa Curta and Maldini and I forget the fourth and then a holding midfielder in front of those but he would give he would give the attacking 10 players the ball and that's of course players like Marco Van Basten and and Ruud Hullet and that, that generation that golden generation of Milan players and the one stipulation was that if they lost the ball they had to restart again from their own half and so they had to keep restarting 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 and, and those five could effectively defend them without without conceding goals for almost the entire training session. And so if you're willing to do that work as a manager, if you've got the personal energy to do it, it I just don't see it from Bilic. If you look at him, his, his demeanor on the touchline, I, I don't see any trace left in him of the player he once was. It looks like it's just all drained out of him. It's just been too much. He got off to a good start, and he hasn't been able to maintain that, that energy level. Oh, I hope there's footage of one of those training sessions somewhere. I don't know if there's footage of it, but I've, I've, there is footage of uh, Christian Vieri talking about it, and um, I think that's where I got the story from. Ah, oh, okay, fair enough. Um, West Bromwich Albion versus Watford. Ryan, is this last time match of the day? It's definitely going to be on last. I think so. I'm thinking Watford, Watford are doing okay. They're, 
scoring quite a few goals. Um, but it's, it's West Brom at home, so yeah, definitely a last. They've not scored in three uh, out of four games versus Watford in the Premier League of West Brom. But uh, Watford, this is their best start to a Premier League season after this stage of the season, after six games. They've got 11 points uh, and they're unbeaten away so far this season. Yeah, and they got a late Sorry. winner at Swansea, was it, last time out? Yes, that's right. Oh, yeah. it was a very late winner, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. last kick of the game. And so apart from getting mauled by, by City, they've, they've done well. Yeah, they've done okay. What, uh, West Brom lost 2-0 at uh, Arsenal. That was a Monday, wasn't it? Yeah, and that was yeah, a life was... performance. That, 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 uh, that was, they, they, they can't get anything from this game if they replicate that. No. Three games in a week for Arsenal. They're playing tonight and they've got uh, a game on Sunday. So it's the indignity of not qualifying for um, the Champions League. And West Brom's next loss will be their 200th in the Premier League. Uh, next one, West Ham versus Swansea. This is the big Sam Laffin at Chico Flores derby. If you remember that, anybody? <laughs> oh, that's that's a, truly one of the great moments of the last 10 years. <laughs> it's the way he he puts his hands in his pocket, his suit pocket, as he, as he pushes his jacket back. It, it's just the best. It's a big bellow coming from his gut, isn't it? Big bellow. He's chewing <laughs> gum at the, at the same I'm the, all of it, all the the elements are perfect. <laughs> uh, West Ham have lost one versus well, one out of nine versus Swansea in the Premier League. Um, but Swansea have kept three clean sheets this season. That is their most uh, in their last two Premier League seasons combined, which says an awful lot where they've come from and to, and maybe what Paul Clement can do for them. Yeah, he he had a, a really difficult job talking about working on space and shape and everything when when. Um, my countryman Bob Bradley was was in charge there. Uh, they were just an utter mess at the back. You know, players chasing the ball and losing shape. And and so Paul Clement's done a great job, sort of rebuilding them from the ground up. I think Fabianski is a good goalkeeper. I think he's an underrated shot stopper. I think he's he's up near the top tier in in pure shot stopping ability. And so, you know, they that resilience they have now at the back. They've always got a chance to stay in a game. Um, and if you can get somebody to nick you a goal now that, 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 that Wilfred's back there, maybe he can get himself something like that. OK. Uh, Ryan, Andy Carroll's got five goals and three assists uh, in his time for West Ham versus Swansea. Who's going to come out of this one on top? I think Swansea. Uh, I think, Justin, you nailed it on the head with, with how they've um, changed. And I think when we when Paul Clement came in, I think we all said at the time, I think what they need is someone like a player, uh, you know, a, a traditional coach. Um, to go in there and work on those basics and, and you can tell all the work that he's done there has been a massive help I mean they've definitely got some good players in over the summer as well here and there to, to sort of help them out and um, you're saying about nicking a goal um, yeah you've got Wilfred Bonney but you've also got Tammy Abraham who came yep. on and scored for them last week um, he's he's a guy that's he'll just poach goals um, if the ball gets put in the box he'll be there and I'm sure he'll be knocking it in do you know, I've got absolutely no investment in Tammy Abraham whatsoever. I don't support either his parent club or the club where he's on loan. But I really, really want him to do well. He deserves it as well. I think it, he's, he's worked hard, and the season he had at Bristol City last year was was good. And it, it thing is, it's a bit unfair. I think he's he's getting a lot of uh, he's not getting as much attention as say when when Rashford hit the scene. Um, which well, is interesting because kind of you want him to sort of be a bit below the radar, don't you? Well, I think that's I think that's the thing. Whenever we we see a young English player um, perform well, it's instantly like this is going to be a world class player, and, and then there's all this unrealistic expectation. I mean, not English, but you remember when Yanazai hit the scene, and there was well, England in England 
are going to try and register him and all these players all these young players that come up hit the ground running for a couple of games and then because the media attention is so strong mm. they just drop off Tavi Omerham's I think done well because he's just kept under the radar he keeps picking up goals he's getting experience from good players um, and a good manager um, so it'd be, it, it's good to see him sort of work on his game while also keeping under the radar so when he does return to Chelsea and hopefully gets into the first team he can um, improve okay uh, on Sunday just then it's Everton versus Burnley uh, this is the Michael Keane derby I think um, Everton have won all three Premier League home games versus Burnley but uh, and they've also got 11 out of the last 13 uh, one out of 11 out of the last 13 Premier League games at Goodison but Burnley um, they've had a tough away fixture so far this season Liverpool, Chelsea and Spurs haven't they, lost one of them not lost one of them and if they win uh, this game then they'll surpass the number of away, away points they got last season they are gone. I don't think they will, though. I, I think it's taken a while for every. Well, honestly, actually, Everton are playing right now, aren't they? Yeah, I don't think they're. I don't think they're doing amazing. It's two-one actually, so yeah. they conceded first. Okay. Um, they apparently were. So um, Mark Football Pink, who parish of the show sometimes, he sort of said, you know, Coman doesn't really know his first eleven, and that's just causing a lot of issues when it comes to yeah. Everton don't judge Mark's tweets he's the most miserable Everton fan I know <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know why Everton fans carry the stress they do for any given league game because you, you, you're gonna the, you, the likelihood is a sixth place finish I mean it's, they're just not likely to finish any higher that than that and and they're definitely a level above or they have been a level above the bottom half and they send, sort of seem to settle into a sixth-place trajectory sometime as we start to approach Christmas, and that's just where they finish. That's where they end up. I, I, I expect them to improve a little bit on where they've been so far this season. Um, maybe it starts this weekend against Burnley. Okay. Um, and finally, Arsenal versus Bolton. Arsenal have won in Europe tonight. Um, I was just having a look. They were playing a Belarusian team, but I couldn't see Alexander Hleb hmm. playing for them, unfortunately. Yeah. Haleb's there, isn't he still? But he didn't didn't play, I don't think. Yeah, he's. I saw a little bit of him earlier on saying he's looking forward to get reunited with um, with Arsene Wenger. But no, you're right, he's not there. Quite a changed team, actually. If you look at the Arsenal lineup, even Wilshere got Wilshere got played 90 minutes by the looks of it. Yeah, and t- Twitter, at least as I said, I listened to it on the radio, and and everyone seemed to feel like he had a, a very strong game. Twitter seemed to be very excited about his performance. Oh, good. Uh, well, look, Arsenal are playing Brighton this weekend. Um, Arsenal versus newly promoted teams are unbeaten in 31. That goes back to QPR in 2012. And they got 83 out of 93 possible points. But the last promoted team to win at the Emirates was Newcastle in 2010. And guess who they were managed by? Um, Don't know, Chris. Don't know, Chris. It was Chris Hutton. Oh, it was Chris Hutton, Chris. Yeah. I think they won that 1-0. Was it an Andy Carroll header or something? I seem to remember. Was there an end? Is this 2010? Yeah. Has Andy Carroll been around that long? Yeah, I think so. Has, yeah. It seems it, doesn't it? Yeah. There's certain players you still think are about sort of 23 or 24, and then all of a sudden you realise that's sort of 30 or something. Carlos yeah. Tevez was a good example of that. He's 33. I still imagine him being in sort of like his mid-20s. 
<laughs> well, that's different for me because I remember his first spell at Boca as a River fan. So that, to me, he's, uh, I mean, he was playing at Boca at 16, 17. And so I remember they played in the semifinal of the Copa Libertadores way back in 2004, I think. And Tevez scored in that game and got sent off. So he's haunted my memories for many a long, weary year. <laughs> was that before or after your relegation? It was before, but... Um, River are a great example of how sometimes relegation can be the best thing that happens to a club. They got their finances in order after that and uh, won a league title, won a couple Libertadores Libertadores title, and they're back in the semifinals right now of the Lib. Yeah, and rather randomly they had David Trezeguet there for a while, didn't they? They did. Well, that's another. That's a case of of you know the power that both River and Boca have um, to bring back former players, former stars who've made their money in Europe, or in the case of Trezeguet, someone who's just always supported them and wants, want a chance to finish their playing days in the kind of atmosphere that, for legal reasons, you just can't have in Europe. <laughs> have you been to a Boca River game? Oh, I haven't. I've never been to the Super Classico. Obviously love to someday, but never been. Yeah, oh, that would be fantastic. Um, Arsenal are beaten at the home. I've written here, Arsenal are beaten at home in the Premier League since October 2002. That can't be right, surely. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'll ignore that. Uh, anyone see anything different other than an Arsenal win? Arsenal being very Arsenal in the fact that they sort of... Uh, well, they, they, they were, weren't they? They had the game against Liverpool, and then they sort of won the next game against Bournemouth, and everyone went, oh, OK. Then. But then they drew against Chelsea, didn't they? So maybe there is a different arsenal side to Arsenal. No, I think it's just the same as normal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just what they do. It is. I mean, and they, they have the capability to make mid-table teams look very bad. They can put tremendous beatings on on sides and and they're just as capable of of losing a game um in that same situation but uh, i think they've they've put that that liverpool game behind them and they're in a pretty decent form at the moment this has got sort of four nil written all over it with theo walcott getting the last two unimportant goals <laughs> sounds like it doesn't it? <laughs> okay right well, that brings us to the end of our premier league roundup um aob any other business from anybody whatsoever we were just saying about Everton and, and how they're actually winning. Mm. Um, so, Apollon, wherever they are from, uh, they're the red card, but they've now actually just scored an equaliser in the 88th minute. Oh, have they? Yeah, so this is, might not be a good good result for them to draw at home. Oh, okay. Apollon. Uh, to a 10-man side. It's Limassol. It's not ideal. No, no. That should be brilliant for a lol, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so apparently, I did. yeah, it seems a bit of a weird one. Mm, okay. Uh, Justin, anything you want yes. to add or plug or anything like that at all? I'm not a plugger. Um, you, you may have noticed that, Chris. I've had a book, you know, since last my second book was published in 2013. And I think at the time I promised the publisher that I would do all my best to, to promote it. And <laughs> I have comprehensively failed to do that. I mean, it doesn't come naturally or easy to me. So, But I will mention it now. What's it called? It's called Small Time, A Life in the Football Wilderness. And uh, if anyone that finds my Twitter can find a link to it there. It's on Amazon, all the normal places. Okay. And if they want to follow you on Twitter, how do they do that? Uh, I would prefer they didn't. Oh, mm. Fair enough. <laughs> no, they can, they can find me. It's uh, Keepers Union uh, with an underscore between Keepers and Union just to make it that much more complicated. Okay. And it's got a blue tick. Let's not forget about the blue yeah. tick. Yeah, the players I coach now get no end of joy from the fact that I'm... <laughs> like a thinking man's David Priest, aren't you? 
Oh, uh, that's that's not being fair to David at all. <laughs> no, he's very good actually. Do you know what, let's really... go with let's go with good looking man's David Priest. A good looking David <laughs> Priest. Oh, I tell you what, I bet you've got a, a you've probably got a cuter Skype profile pic than David Priest. No, no, I I, I don't, don't know that I have a Skype profile pic. So you got so that doggy. <laughs> that's I do have that. That's right. You're right. Yeah, I got Blake. So yeah, <laughs> I do have him beat there. <laughs> okay uh right we are part of the world football index at man of the post that's at world football i um i will point you to something jesse has written this week because uh it's as you can imagine we've had a little bit of it over here i should imagine it's probably made more of a rumpus over your uh where you are this is the is it taking a knee bending a knee bending the knee yeah that's obviously dominated the national news here for the last week while we've had a horrific humanitarian crisis in Puerto Rico <laughs> yeah. that's been largely ignored. Yeah, it's uh, people have been pointing that out on Twitter. But yeah, she's written an article about that, about how um, people are saying sport and politics shouldn't mix. And she's written uh, very eloquently and very beautifully. And she's put several examples in of how sport and politics do mix and often intertwine. Um, and that is on the Unusual Efforts website. So it's really, really worth checking that out. Or you can ask her at Jessie Loesch if you want to. Uh, ask her to um, sort of post it for you. It's really, really good. Um, yeah, I second, I second that. I read it and uh, I thought it was excellent, and I agree with everything she said. Yeah, it is brilliant. Uh, although all, all those lots of people talking about bending a knee are saying that the American footballers have got it lucky because look what happens on Game of Thrones if you don't bend the knee for Khaleesi. <laughs> ah, good point. Yeah, luckily Donald Trump doesn't have a dragon. Can you imagine that? Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, Man of the Post is the uh, is our account. is at Man of the Post. Um, that's also the same for the Instagram account, manofthepost.com as well for our website. Uh, I don't know whether Ross and the guys will be back on Sunday or not. I don't think they will because um, there's sort of rather big personal events going on with one of them. Um, we are part of the World Football Index at World Football Live. You subscribe to them and us via iTunes. Uh, you get podcast drop automatically in your box um we cover leagues from south america copa libertadores uh Serie A and portugal and north america mexico all sorts so get following the world football index on there um you can subscribe via itunes if you've got an apple shop near you justin if you could go out your way and pop in there and just sort of subscribe to all the ipods on there and you know boost us up the itunes charts will do uh ryan you've got one of those lesser android models I do. How do you get Man on the Post through that archaic instrument? <laughs> I, I use an app called Podcast Republic, I think it's called. Um, and you just subscribe through there, and I think it goes to, to whatever podcast service can host it and, and downloads it automatically to my device. Okay, super. Oh, thank you for coming on then, Ryan. How do they follow you on Twitter? Uh, my handle is at the Ryan Goodman. Super. Justin, thank you ever so much for coming on. Will you come on again? I will, but uh, I've got to remind you, Chris, we need to get our answer to the uh, the Everton oh, Portsmouth Leeds yes. question. Go on then, yes. Uh, let me try and find the original question, which was, Everton, Portsmouth and Leeds have 356. Uh, any idea what the answer might be, guys? I'm going to say players in their alumni. <laughs> Go on, okay, Justin. I'm going to say uh, sendings off in their history combined. Ooh, Leeds, crikey, that's a bit low. <laughs> uh, well, apparently it is the number of years combined those three clubs have been in existence. Oh, for... What? <laughs> I told you that the person that sends these um, questions over often 
the same communications out late at night. I said, how does that... Sorry, read the question for me quickly. <laughs> Ever so quickly. Sorry, wait. Right. Everton, Portsmouth and Leeds have 356 of them. Oh, I thought it was what, like what they have each or something. I read, so I heard it as like they have 356 each of... Like they, no, okay, well, yeah. whatever. I think this is known as what's called a one-week feature. Yeah. <laughs> You've got your game next week, haven't you? Yes, I've been working very hard on it, actually. Yeah, yeah. Work a bit harder so we don't have to do it again next week. Yeah, fine. <laughs> yeah, Justin, you're coming on again. Happy to, anytime. Super, love you to come on again. Okay, well, thank you ever so much, guys, and always remember to keep your man on the post. <laughs>